0: Uh, I'm not going to take a long time today, and some of you are laughing, no, truly I'm not. Uh, last week we did the deep dive, I mean we went deep, that was the longest sermon I've preached in a very long time, so you did well to hang on, so I'm going to kind of just go a little quicker today, and we're going to build off last week, we're going to build off what we did last week uh, in this story of Abram. And so the title I message today is Evidence of Faith, Evidence of Faith of faith. If you are just joining us, I'm going to catch you up really quick. Uh, if you have a Bible, why don't you go ahead and turn to Genesis chapter 13, and we've got some folks in the aisles at all of our campuses, Valley Campus, uh, East, West. If you just slip your hand up, we'll get the, the Bible in your hands. You can even borrow it if you don't want to keep it, uh, but we'll, you can keep that. That's our gift to you. You can follow along with us. So turn to Genesis chapter 13. We're going to be there just for a few minutes today, uh, but just to catch you up, we have been journeying through the book of Genesis. It's the first book in the Bible, and we've discovered this is kind of framing story for our understanding of not just the world and, why, and the way things work, but how things came into being and how uh, we live our lives according to how God designed us to live and the, the story of reconciliation. It's a huge, huge story that we're kind of unpacking week by week. And last week, uh oh, I'm hearing music. Uh, we're we're good, Sander. Thanks. Last week, last week we, uh, we we looked at we found out about a new character. The character, his name was. Yeah, seven of us were there. Abram. Yes, Abram. Abraham. Same guy. Some of you are confused. Abraham is Abram. Yeah, last week we were looking at this guy, Abram. We found that God is kind of unfolding this story where he's going to reconcile all things to himself and that he's kind of working to see things come into alignment with how he designed it in the first place. And we we found out that he's going to do that through this guy, Abram. And he, he calls Abram and says, I'm going to make you a blessing to the whole earth. And I'm going to call you and you're going to be my own people. And we're going to just kind of fix the world through a people. And so Abram heard this call we heard a couple of weeks ago and he responded to the call and he, he moves to where God called him as this beautiful picture of someone who hears the call of God on their life and he, he exercises his belief in God. But then we found last week, what we find? He got there and things got a little hard and his faith was tested by a famine famine hit the land, and we found that actually Abram didn't have a whole lot of faith in, at, at all. When, when push came to shove, he, his faith was not in God. His faith was in himself and his own ability to kind of manage his own circumstances. So what did we find? We found that Abram left the land God called him, and he went down to Egypt, and he got himself in a huge mess. He ends up lying about who his wife is. He ends up losing his wife. It's this brutal story, and then we find it has this amazing turn of events where he realizes he's confronted with his bad decisions and he goes back to where it all began and he calls on the name of the Lord and it's this beautiful picture we talked about last week of how God always takes us back. God's grace always calls us back. And so that's where we left off last week. Now this week... We're going to pick up right off the heels of that. And what I want you to see as we look at the story is there's a series of things that Abram does in his life right after this event in Egypt. And you're going to notice something about Abram. He's not the same as he was before. You're going to notice some evidence of God doing a work in his heart where there's all this outward things. You're going to notice some things. You're going to examine what he does and you're going to find that there's a lot of difference about this guy from last week to this week. From the story of Egypt to where he is now. You're going to start to see some visible shifts happen in his life. Some things that are obviously changing about him. Now, he's not perfect. We're going to find out as the story goes on. He's got some things that he's still working on. But you're already seeing, based on this experience last week, he's starting. To change, you're starting to see evidence that his faith was in God and God's grace is reaching his heart and changing his life. That's what you're going to start seeing, evidence of grace in his life. He's starting to change. Now, what's grace? We've talked about this for the last few weeks. Grace, we actually talk about it every week because that's, that's what the whole story is about. But grace, in effect, is not just forgiveness. It's not just mercy. Grace is God's power at work on your behalf. So grace is, in any way. So grace is provision, grace is mercy, grace is forgiveness, grace is life, grace is joy. It's all the stuff that God does for you that you can't do for yourself. That's grace. And so you're starting to see some things that Abram couldn't do, he's now doing. You're starting to see some evidence that grace has hit him in such a way that it's changing, and it's kind of changing his life, and it's becoming noticeable, And so I want to ask the question, what are the things that are happening in his life that that are noticeable? And and what is it about this evidence of faith that matters so much? Uh, The Bible says that that faith and works are connected. That, That when you look at someone's life, it becomes evident as to where their faith is at. Now, grace is the means by which we are changed. Uh, grace, the the power of God in us. But now hang with me. In order to experience grace, you have to exercise what? Faith. Ephesians Ephesians says that uh, we are saved by grace through, say it, through faith. So faith is the mechanism by which grace gets to your life. You can't experience God's grace unless you have faith. Like last week, we saw Abram humble himself, put his faith in God and went back and called upon the name of the Lord in faith. And in that, he received grace. And now he's starting to change. So I want you to see something here. Faith unleashes grace in your life. Grace unleashes transformation in your life. So when you exercise faith, it will inevitably lead to transformation. When you exercise faith in God, it leads to transformation. Here, 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 let me say it differently. It is impossible to have faith in God, true faith. It's impossible to have faith and stay the same. It's impossible. Because when you exercise faith in God, his grace comes into your life. And when God's grace comes into your life, you cannot stay the same. It changes you. James, James, the brother of Jesus, said it like this. Maybe this will help you kind of get your head around what I want to talk about today. James chapter 2 says this. You say you have faith, for you believe that there is one God. Good for you. I love that. James, if you ever want like a book that just shoots straight, James shoots straight. Good for you. Even the demons believe this. They believe in God too. And they tremble in terror. How foolish. How foolish. Can't you see that faith without good deeds is useless? It's not faith at all. Don't you remember that our ancestor Abraham or Abram was shown to be right with God by his actions? So what's what's James saying? He's saying his actions became evidence of his alignment with God. You see that? They're connected. Shown to be right with God by his actions. When he offered his son Isaac on the altar. We're going to get to that story in a few weeks. You see, his faith and his actions worked together. His actions made his faith complete. And so it happened, just as the scriptures say, Abram believed God and God counted him as righteous, grace, you see. He had faith, received righteousness, grace. He was even called a friend of God. So you see, we are shown to be right With God, by what we do, not by faith alone. So what is he saying? He is saying that faith, when you truly have faith in God, it is accompanied by works. It's accompanied by action, by activity, that that if you really have faith in Jesus, another way to say it, if you really have faith in Jesus, the grace of Jesus will reach your life and it will produce activity you will start to see evidence of life change. You will start to see. Now, it doesn't mean you're going to be perfect or totally different overnight, but you will start to see growth. We, we talked about God as the God of life. He, we talked about Genesis chapter 1 and 2, where God made everything to grow and be fruitful and multiply. When you receive the power, the grace of God in your life, you will start to see things start to grow and shift and change. You, you cannot experience the grace of God without some evidence in your life so some of you want I want to just press on you as we look at this text today let me ask you the question are you growing like are you seeing any evidence you come to church every week uh, you're in a you're in a small group you you maybe you serve in some area but are you seeing evidence? evidence that you're actually changing i would i would ask you to begin to ask that question am i seeing evidence of god's grace in my life that i'm beginning to become a different person you don't you don't have to be perfect but if you look back at yourself this time last last year would you say i'm the exact same or i'm not the same that's what i want you to start to think about today what actions are present if you have real faith in jesus how am I starting to change? I want to give three evidences really quick. I, I'm telling you, we're going to motor. So get your notepads out. I want you to write these down. But I think these are going to give you some guides to look at your life on what's, what will change. Okay, if I have real faith in Jesus, what will begin to change in my life? Uh, there are three things. So let's look at these stories and let's look at Abram as a, a kind of a prototype of what grace will do in your life. Are you with me? Valley Campus, East Campus, West Campus, are we together? All right, let's go. Genesis 13, here's, here's the first thing that happens. So just to catch you all up, Abram has this kind of meltdown last week. Everybody remembers. We all identify with that. are like, yep, been there. Yeah, so he has this meltdown. He comes back, and he gets he calls on the name of the Lord. And it seemed like it was this amazing thing that was happening. And now we're going to see the stories as they unfold, evidence that indeed it was. Now watch this. Chapter 13, verse 5. This is right after Abram calls in the name of the Lord. It says this. Lot, who is Abram's nephew, was traveling with Abram, had also become very wealthy with flocks of sheep and goats, herds of cattle, and many tents. But the land could not support both Abram and Lot with all their flocks and herds living so close together. So disputes broke out between the herdsmen of Abram and Lot. That's pretty straightforward. God had blessed their household so much that their herds were growing into one another. And so now their they're, they're shepherds and their herdsmen were starting to get at one another because it was getting inconvenient. After all, or sorry, at that time, the Canaanites and Perizzites and all the other ites and the cellulites were, were living in the land. <laughs> and finally, Abram said to Lot, okay, here's the deal. Abram said to Lot, and I want you to note what Abram is saying here. This is significant. Let's not allow this conflict to come between, uh, between us or our herdsmen. After all, we are close relatives. The whole countryside is open to you. Watch this. Take any choice of, take your choice of any section of the land you want, and we will separate. If you want the land to the left, then I'll take the land on the right. If you prefer the land on the, lo- on the right, then I'll go to the left. You pick. And so Lot took a long look. He examined it. He looked at the fertile plains of the Jordan Valley in the direction of Zor. The whole area was well watered everywhere, like the Garden of the Lord or the beautiful land of Egypt. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. That's coming later. Lot chose for himself the whole Jordan Valley to the east of them. He went there with his flocks and servants and parted company with his uncle Abram. So Abram settled in the land of Canaan, and Lot moved his tent to a place near Sodom and settled among the cities of the plain. I'm going to break that down. I want to write write down the first thing. If you're taking notes, write this down. First, evidence. Grace through faith is evidenced in my life by freedom from scarcity, The ability to live my life open-handed. One of the ways you can know that God's grace is working in your life is that you're becoming more and more free from a scarcity mindset that would lead you to live live your life trying to control and manipulate your circumstances. And you're moving from that to a place of open-handed trust that God is my provider. And what you're seeing here in Abram is so profound overnight. Now, we don't know how much time passed between his kind of meltdown in Egypt and his return to God and then this. It's enough time that they were quite blessed and they'd grown. But we know that there's a lot of change happening in Abram's life in a very short period of time. If you remember last week, what happened? Abram uh, was tested with famine. What's famine? There's what? Not enough food, right? Not enough food. Scarcity drove Abram to go to Egypt in the first place. You track it? There wasn't enough food. God called him to live in Canaan. God didn't say go to Egypt, but there wasn't enough food. And so he did not trust that God would provide. He was afraid, so he went to Egypt to try to take matters into his own hands. Do you see that? That's what, he, he, he had to control the situation. He wasn't living open-handed before God saying, God is my provider. It was, God, you aren't providing enough. There's not enough. I'm leaving and I'm going to Egypt. That's where his head was at. And now what do you see? You see that God had blessed them and you see him come to his nephew Lot who would have been lower than him on the pecking order, would have been part of his household in some ways, and he says to Lot, he says, okay, we gotta split up. It's all cordial, there's no animosity in there. He just said, we're, we're growing too big, so here's the deal: you pick, I'll go where you don't want to go. Wait, what? Yeah, you have your choice. You can go if you want to go there, I'll go this way. If you want to go this way, I'll go that way. He he let Lot call dibs. Like when he could have said, All right, boy, I'm the senior, I'm the man, I'm the guy that has the call from God. I'm going to pick, I'm going to the good land. You're going to stay in the desert zone. But he didn't, did he? He said, wherever you go, go ahead and I'll go the other way. And you notice in that a huge change in his mentality. The old Abram would have grabbed on to the good plot, wouldn't he? He would have controlled those circumstances. He probably would have manipulated Lot and probably kicked him farther. He probably would have taken the whole thing. And now we see the grace of God causing him to live open-handed to a point that, hey, you know what? Aver had this mentality. Wherever I go, I trust God will provide for me. That's his mentality. And you see this change in his mindset. You can write this down. When grace reaches me, When I actually activate faith and God's grace reaches me, I move from a, I got to get mine mentality to a God has mine mentality. I move from a, there's not enough to there's more than enough. I move from, I'm my provider to he's my provider. I move from, I got to go find blessing to blessing finds me wherever I go. There is a vast change in his mind. And this is what grace does. Grace moves us from a scarcity mindset to an abundance outlook. That's what it does. When you realize that you have received grace, it changes your posture in the world. You all of a sudden aren't trying to control and manipulate your circumstances. You're not trying to tuck this away. You're not trying to kind of make sure this works out for you. You live life open-handed before God. It says, God, where you go, I'll go. But just say, I'll say, I'm not afraid. There's more than enough. Abram changed his mindset. He changed how he, just his expectation, grace reached his life. That's what Paul was trying to get at in Romans chapter 8. Paul said, um, how could he who did not spare his son, not along with him, graciously give us all things? What's he getting at? He's saying, if, yo, if God would give you Jesus... There's nothing he wouldn't give you, right? That's, that's what he's trying to say. So as we remind ourselves that God gave us Jesus, how does that affect, how does that grace, how does a revelation of that grace affect your day-to-day life? Well, all of a sudden, I don't have to manipulate people. I don't have to make sure that I get first dibs. I can let people go first. I don't have to kind of be heavy-handed here so that I get my way. I don't have to control. I don't have to manipulate. I'm free because why? God already gave me the richest blessing in the universe and he'll give me more. It's this change of mindset. Paul said in Philippians 4.19 that God, I know, my God, will supply all your needs in Christ Jesus. All of them. You see, there's a lie I think we tell ourselves and it undermines our faith. We tell ourselves I would if I could. I'll do it when I have more. And that's a scarcity mindset. Faith is he'll do it as I trust him. It's what faith is, it, and it's, it changes everything. This is what God's done in our story at our church. This is what God has done in my story in my life, and especially in my leadership here. I remember not too long after I took over as a senior pastor, I was beginning to get dreams in my heart about what God wanted to do, and yet I, I kind of lacked the faith, and so I made an excuse, well, when we have more money, we'll take some steps. That was, that's what most of us say, isn't it? Well, if I just had this, then I'd do that. Is that not what we say? And then one, one fateful Sunday morning... Uh, a very soft-spoken Nigerian man named Shola took me aside, and he said, Pastor Brent, I have a word for you. And I, said, and, I, and I said, what is it? And he said, the Lord says. That's not a good Nigerian accent. Bear with me. He said, <laughs> he said, the Lord says that everything you need to go where you need to go, he's already given you. Have a nice day, right? Like one of those, one of those things that just... Took the excuses out where God said, hey, if you're waiting on me to drop enough money to take your faith out of the equation, forget it. Activate your faith and I'll provide. And that's totally different than how a lot of us operate. So some of you are wondering why God doesn't just poof, magically show up with whatever provision you're looking for. It's because you haven't exercised faith. When you exercise faith, God provides. Can I get an Amen. So uh, let me ask you a question here. Is there any evidence in your life that grace has reached your life by how you're living? Would you say, what typifies the way you live? Like this? Is this your posture? Eh, You want want the good land? Take the good land. Or is this your posture? You're holding, you're, you're, you're hoarding, you're controlling, you're afraid, you're trying to make sure you got enough. Grace frees you from that. It's a beautiful thing. All right, let's do number two. I I don't have a ton of time left. Uh, Flip over to chapter 14. Let me catch you up. We don't have time to read it all, but let me catch you up. So this happens. Abram and Lot separate. And then we find that in the surrounding cities, all these cities start fighting with one another. And this war flares up and the the kings or rulers of the cities start fighting. There's this huge battle that starts to take place in this region. And Lot and his whole household become prisoners of war. They They get captured. And then we find this that happens next. It says in verse 14, in chapter 14, it says, when Abram heard that his nephew Lot had been captured, he mobilized the 318 trained men who had been born into his household. Then he pursued Ketilorim, or whatever, however you say it, we'll just call him Kay. He pursued Kay's army until he caught up with them at Dan. There he divided his men and attacked them in the night. Kedol- Kedor Lomer's army. That's a hard, I've been trying to say that all week. I've even looked online how to pronounce it. Sorry, can't do it. Kay's army fled, but Abram chased them as far as Hobah, north of Damascus. Abram recovered all the goods that had been taken, and he brought back his nephew Lot with his possessions and all the women and other captives. Now, let's just pause there. What just happened? If you're taking notes, let's write this down. I'll give you you my point and then I'll break it down. Number two, if you're taking notes, some evidence, some evidence of faith. Uh, Number two, grace through faith is evidenced by passion for people. Passion for people. The love of God, which makes me love others. You can know that God's grace is getting to your heart through your faith by how much you're able to put others before yourself. It is a direct correlation. The love you have for other people is a direct correlation to the faith you've placed in God and the grace of God that he's given in your heart. Think about Abram. You look at, you look at this. You look at last week to this week. What did he do? Last week, we saw this dude uh, not, not just put like nobody. Like, like, he was putting himself before everybody, even his wife. He, what did he do? He lied about his wife and sent her off to live with Pharaoh so that it says in the scripture, it may go well with me. Because Abram was for one guy last week. It's for himself. And now this week, what do we see? We see Abram going after his dumb nephew he does it again later on. He goes after his nephew. He musters all the men in his household. Abram's not a war hero. He's not a warrior. He's a, he's a father of a household. And yet he ponies up, arms up, gets the guys, and goes in and saves Lot. And he actually wins the entire battle. This is this incredible picture. But you can see evidence of Abram's life changing. Last week, we would have said, well, that's Lot's fault. This week, because of that encounter with God, his heart is changing to where he's, he can't stand by and watch harm come to someone that he now loves. See, grace is evidence when you start to see a passion for people. Grace will be evidence, uh, evidence in your life by increased love and concern for the welfare of others. You want to know if God's grace is like, you, you've been coming to church, so you have faith. Is your faith evidenced by a growing care and concern for others? When you go to work, you see the people around you. Are they just people or more and more you're starting to see them as not just humans, but you're starting to see them as people that God uh, died for, Jesus died for, people who have been created in the image of God. How do you view other people? There is a direct correlation. I'm just giving you some, some tells here. You can know God's getting to your heart when you start to see people differently. Grace changes your heart. Jesus said this would happen. Jesus taught in Matthew chapter 22. God came to him one day as a teacher. What's the most important commandment of the law of Moses? Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. Second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. So he's saying love for God will translate into love for people. You can't say you love God and not love people. That's what the Bible says. That, that you can't have one without the other. same way you can't have faith without actions, you can't have love for God if it's not translating itself into love for others. Because why? God loves the world. If you love someone, you start to love what they love, right? Like, like my wife has gotten me into things that in, in a million years, I'm not watching This Is Us. <laughs> but I love her. And I'd be open to sitting there with her while she watches it, if, if she wanted me to, because I love her. We've been working on what we watch together. So anyway, one more scripture really quick. First John 4.20 says this, If anyone says, I love God, but hates his brother, he's a liar. For anyone who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. Do you hear the absurdity in that? How can you say you love God who you can't see? you don't even love the person that you can see. Like, like if you can't even love someone that you can see and touch, how on earth can you say you love a God that you've never actually seen? Don't say you love God and, and, and don't love your brother. So you're going to start to see it translate into passion for people. This is why for our church, yes, we do things where we, we show the love of Christ to people. We do Love Week, for instance. Uh, we support a lot of you know, uh, great agencies, like we're partners with Compassion. We, deal, we help through, through Compassion. We're partners with Outflow, uh, just groups that are doing great work, showing the kindness of Christ. But we actually go a step further than that, and we say, you know what? The most important thing to us is this. Uh, Jesus said, I have come. Uh, he said, so, so just as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. Jesus said at one point, he said, the son of man did not come to serve, but to be served, or sorry, not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life up as ransom for many. Jesus came to seek and save lost people. And the reason that we exist as a church is not to get together and high five one another and feel really good. Uh, The reason God has a church on the earth right now is because there is a mission we are trying to accomplish, and that is to see all people in all places come to know the saving power of King Jesus. That's why we exist. That's why we have a value around here that says this. We are on a mission that if at the beginning and the end of the day, we aren't seeing more people come to know and love Jesus Christ and find him as Savior, we are not functioning as a church. We say we're on a mission. We say it like this. We have been sent out to declare and demonstrate the good news that Jesus saves. That's our mission. And let me tell you something. We need to love people enough to care about their eternal soul. Amen? Like how... Like. It's one thing to care about someone's meal, and we should. It's one thing to give clothing to the naked. You do that unto God, absolutely. But do not stop short of that. We are on a mission. This is a mission field. We have an assignment to go and reach people. And that's what we're all about. I think that's so awesome this week. I just was reading so many stories about the famous pastor who just passed away, Billy Graham. Why does the church honor him? Because this man embraced the love of God in the mission of God. He shared the good news of Jesus with 215 million people. That's, That's the love of God in a person that says, well, I'm gonna give my life to this. People need the gospel. How can I deprive this good news from someone I say I love? And so here's the deal, and I've been convicted of this all week. Do I love my neighbors? Do I love the people on my street? Do you love the people you work with? Do you love your family members enough to tell them about Jesus, even in your own fumbled Way Do you love them enough to tell them about Jesus? Grace will convert into a passion for people. Okay, final thought. I'm going to be done. Told you I was going to be quick. Y'all didn't believe me. Verse 17, it says, so it goes on, and this, this strange thing happens. After Abram returned from his victory over Kay and all his allies, the king of Sodom went out to meet him in the valley of Shava. That is the valley, that is King's Valley. <laughs> and Melchizedek... That used to be our church name, for those of you who are new. Uh, And Melchizedek, the king of Salem, if you have a Bible, your own Bible, underline Melchizedek, the king of Salem, underline a priest of the Most High God, brought Abram some bread and wine. Melchizedek blessed Abram with a blessing and said, Blessed be Abram by God Most High, his creator of heaven and earth, and blessed be God Most High, who has defeated your enemies for you, And now here's what I want you to notice. Then Abram gave Melchizedek a tenth of all the goods he had recovered. I want you to write this down. I'm going to break it down for you. Number three is this. Grace through faith is evidenced by consistent surrender and sacrifice. It's a commitment to put God first. You're going to start to notice change happening to you as you learn how to put God first in your life. That's what faith is looks like. It's putting God first. Let me break down what happened. So Abram wins this war, right? He wins this war, and in his day, when you win a war, you win all the riches that come with that. So Abram, at this point in his life, now we just found out God has already been blessing him, and now at this point in his life, this dude is so abundantly blessed and so powerful. He now, has, he now has reign and rule over all of these cities. He's the dominant force, like super blessed. And then this dude appears out of nowhere with this crazy name, Melchizedek. What is that Who is that? Now, we don't have time. I wish I had time to kind of geek out on this, but I don't. But I want to just break down for you a couple things. It tells us his name is Melchizedek. He's the ruler of Salem. Now, Salem later becomes Jerusalem. Salem in Hebrew means peace. So he's the prince or the ruler of Salem. You ever heard of the prince of peace before? Uh, It says that he is the priest of the most high God, priest of God El Elyon, the the high priest of God most high. High, the great high priest. You ever heard of that before? You ever heard that, that terminology? Uh, it says that his name is Melchizedek. In the language, that's two names in one. Melech Zedek, which means the king of righteousness. Ooh, starting to make, make sense now, isn't it? Who is Melchizedek? We're, we're getting there. The answer is always Jesus. All right. It says that he presented what? Bread and wine. Are you kidding me? Like, this happens thousands of years before Jesus. And here is the Prince of Peace standing in front of Abram, uh, priest of the Most High God, uh, the, 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 the ruler of Salem, he, and he gives bread and wine as an offering, as a, as, a, as a peace offering between the two of them. And what's he do? He blesses Abram on behalf of God, like... That is the gospel, and I could preach a whole message there, but I can't. But you need to know this. Okay, who's Melchizedek? All that to say. I I geeked out on that a little longer than I should have. Who is Melchizedek? Melchizedek is a type of Christ, at very least. A lot of scholars think he's actually the pre-incarnate Christ, that actually is Jesus appeared. The Bible doesn't say that. We don't know that. It just gives a lot of language as to why you would think that, and it's okay to think that. Nonetheless, to Abram, this is God's representative, that's, that's what he thinks about Melchizedek. And that's what we can think when we look at it. So you have to look at what Abram does before God's representative. And here's, I wanna leave you with this. He tithes. He gives 10% of everything that he had back to God's representative, back to God. He gives it back over. He gives this tithe, that's what he does. Now this represents drastic change in his life. What is the tithe? A tithe comes from the word tenth. It's all through the Old Testament, and Jesus ratifies it again in the New Testament. And it's this picture of sacrifice and surrender. What the tithe is, and I wish I had more time to teach on this, it's a test. The tithe is a test of your trust. And Abram, in this story, passes the test when it is actually most difficult. Now, remember last week. Last week... Abram learned to trust God when he had no other options, right? He went to Egypt, hit a wall, and he went back at rock bottom and called on the name of the Lord. All of us, most of us have had that story. And it's a beautiful thing to know that God can be trusted when you hit rock bottom, isn't it? It's an amazing thing to trust God when you have no other choice. And that's what Abram did. And maybe you hear that. You're here, tonight. You're here this week and uh, you have hit rock bottom. You have no other choice. You can call on the name of the Lord and be saved. But now you're seeing a level of change happen in Abram's life. Because why? It's one thing to trust God when you have to. It's another thing to trust God because you choose to. Abram, at the pinnacle of his success, when he could have sat on his resource... What did he do? He took a portion and consecrated it to God and said, I trust you, that you are my treasure, that you are my provider, and I will not sit back and trust myself to be my provider. The tithe is the way that we know we, at the beginning and end of the day, trust God, not our money. That's why Jesus taught, where your treasure is, there also your heart will be. This is why the Bible says that he who can be trusted with little can be trusted with much. Abram tithed, he passed the test. The tithe helps me know that I've put first things first. I've surrendered to God's authority and that I can expect expect when I do tithe, God will bless the rest. Pastor Dan here at the Valley Campus said something earlier about how God's provision provides seed for more provision. That's what the tithe is. The tithe, the tenth, is, is seed for more provision. A lot of the time... It's so much easier to say, I'll give when I have more money. But in fact, it's actually harder the more money you have. The more resource you have, the more difficult it becomes to actually trust. That's why the tithe is a tenth. It's not an amount. If you want to ask God, how much am I supposed to give? It's not a dollar amount. It's a percent. Why is it a percent? Because sacrifice looks like sacrifice and it all looks different to every person. it's a moving scale. It's why that's why 10% for me might be 10% might be different for you. It's, It's a measure of faith. And I think this is so huge that Abram shows he has this new level of faith where at the bottom I trust you. At the top, I trust you. I don't put my trust in my riches. I thank you for the blessing, but at the beginning and the end of the day, on the top or in the, at the bottom, I put my trust in you. That's what the tithe is. The tithe is a reminder. It's a test. A lot of the time you hear someone say, I hear, I hear it a lot actually, um, you know, I'll start giving when I have more. No, you'll have more when you start giving. It's, it's, it's faith. It's faith. It's a, it's a measure of faith. That's why, you know what? My wife and I, we fight the fight, and we, we carve out the 10%. So many of you do too. And you would say, you know what? It's so hard to do, but when you do it, you realize God is faithful. And if I can trust him, with at first he'll handle the rest. And I've seen that in my life over and over again. So Abram ties. So number three is this. Grace through faith is evidenced by surrender and sacrifice, the commitment to put God first. So let me do a recap and I'm gonna be done. I told you I'd be fast. You didn't believe me, but uh, here I am. Big idea. If you want, so What was he talking about? He talked about tithe and Melchizedek and cellulite. I don't even remember. Here, here's the, here's the, here it is. Grace will change you. It will change you. So I want to confront the lie that says, I go to church and I've received the grace of God. Maybe. When you put your faith in Jesus, and faith, get this, takes work. It's evidential. It's tangible. So I ask the question, where's your faith? When you place your faith in God, it will convert into grace in your life, which will convert into change. You see that? And you see that in Abram's life. And so let me ask you the question. Is there any evidence in your life of grace? And he, let me, let me follow, up, follow up with that. Maybe you would honestly say, no, there's really not. Now that you say it, like, I come to church, but I'm not changing. I, I don't give. I don't really care about people. You know what? I live my life closed fist. I'm, I'm afraid. I'm controlling. I'm manipulative. You probably, you, maybe you're feeling that. And so here's the question. What do you do? if your answer is no? Well, here's the invitation, quite simply. Work your faith. Work your faith. Step out and start activating the things of faith. Start doing it. Sometimes they, some of you might be thinking, okay, well, isn't, that, isn't that like works-based relationship with God? No. Uh, I heard this week, just a brilliant man, he says he's since passed, his name's Dallas Willard. He said, grace is opposed to earning." Grace is opposed to earning. Grace is something that only God can do, and you can't earn it. Grace is opposed to earning, but it's not opposed to effort. It's not opposed to arranging your life in such a way that releases the grace of God into your life. And so some people mistake or misunderstand or misappropriate grace as, okay, I believe in God, I'm forgiven, that's that. No, 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 no. Grace comes as you place your faith in God, actual, tangible faith, and you start stepping out saying, God, I trust you in here. I trust you here. I trust you here. I'm gonna be obedient here. I'm gonna invite this person over here. I'm gonna tell this person about Jesus. I'm gonna start giving. I'm gonna start stepping out in faith. And as you do that, more grace is released. So start doing the things. Uh, John, let me just leave you with this. John says like this in 1 John 4, he says, humble yourselves before God, resist the devil. You see that? That's work, isn't it? Resist the devil, pull back, fight back, and he will flee from you. Now here it is. Come close to God, and God will come close to you. Activate your faith, and God will grace you. Remember, it is a sin to know what you ought to do and then not do it. What's he saying? Activate your faith, and God will bless you. So here's simple steps today, okay? I'm gonna be done, We're gonna sing. Simple steps are this. Here's some things to activate your faith. First, are, are you hoarding? Is there an area in your life that God right now, even as I'm saying it, is putting his finger and saying, you are controlling in that area. Maybe it's your money, maybe it's your time, maybe it's your relationships, maybe it's some hobby, maybe it's something that that you would say at the end of the day, don't touch this. And God's saying, no, no, open your hands. Open your hands, move from scarcity to abundance. Number two, let me ask you this question. Who do I need to love? Who do I need to show some love to? Like right now, you want to you receive more of the love of God in your heart for other people? Give what love you do have right now. Be, be intentional to show some love. So here's, here's how you're going to do this. I've, don't worry, I've brought a way for you to do it. Already thought about it. How many of you know Easter is coming up? Six people are excited that Christ has risen and conquered the grave. How many of you know that Easter's coming up. Come on, East. Come on, West. Come on, Valley. Yes, Easter. All right, so you should have received one of these cards when you came in. Here's what I want you to do. Over the next few weeks, how many of you know that one of the greatest times of the year to tell people about Jesus is at Easter? It's the time of year that Jesus is in people's minds. He's everywhere. CNN's doing stuff on him. People are open to the gospel at Easter. So let's not miss an opportunity. I want everybody. Everyone say Everybody. Say, me. Me. Yes, you. Whoever said me. Yes, you. Take one of these cards, and I want you to take... This is for you. This is not an invite. We'll give you invites later. This is for you. I want you to go home, and I want you to say, God... Who are my names of people I am circling on a list and you want me to show love to by praying for them and getting over my fears and humbling myself and going over, maybe it's across the street, maybe it's at work, and saying, will you come to one of our however many services? We've got so many, it's silly. It's, it's silly. How, will you come to one of our services uh, across St. John or one of our services in Halifax? Will you come and hear about Jesus with me? So that's your task. There's how you're going to activate some faith and some love for some people is love them enough to start praying for them and seeing them as God's mission field. Can you do that? So take that. So there's a, there's a tangible step. There's another step. You know what? Some of you need to start giving sacrificially. You need to stop waiting until you have money or change clanking around in your pocket and you need to say, God, okay, it's a big jump to go from zero to 10. If you, if you leave here and say, all right, I'm gonna go bankrupt, but here we go. I, I challenge you to start tithing, but look, look, take, take a step even in that direction. Say, God, I'm gonna trust you with 5%. And then you open up my faith more. I'm gonna trust you for more. I have found that every time I challenge God and test him in that, he always wins and he always blesses me more than I gave him in the first place. And so I wanna challenge you. Maybe some of you need to start taking that step in your, in your own walk and start to actually give sacrificially. So fill out a tithing envelope, take a card, and go to the red tent and sign up. That's evidence that God is growing in your heart as you do that. All right, stand to your feet, everybody. All of our campuses, Valley Campus, East Campus, West Campus, let's pray and we'll celebrate and thank God for the grace he's already given us and give us grace to help us walk it out. Father, thank you today. Thank you, Lord, that Jesus, that you died for our sins, you rose for our life. Lord, thank you that today we stand free of condemnation that, Lord, we don't have to earn your love. We don't have to earn your affection. We don't have to earn your mercy. We don't have to earn your grace. That, God, you're pouring it out. Now, God, I pray that that grace would reach our hearts as we put our faith in you, Lord, and it would convert itself into true, tangible life change. God, teach us how to activate our faith. Lord, teach us how to live life open-handed, not afraid of what tomorrow will bring. Now, God, but we trust that you're our provider. As we look at everything around the world, we realize, God, if you take care of the sparrow, you'll take care of me, and we change our mindset. Lord God I pray that you do a work in our heart that as we learn to love you we learn to love others that your heart for this world would burst in us and that we would be quick to share the gospel we'd be quick to love people to show the kindness of Christ in the world around us and father would you teach us how to be sacrificial that we wouldn't trust in our treasure we wouldn't trust in our wealth we wouldn't trust in our time or our capacity but God in all of it we surrender it to you and say you're our provider We trust you. So, Father, thank you today for your word. We give you great glory. We thank you that you can be trusted. You can be trusted. You can be trusted. We place our faith in you, King Jesus. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Give them a shout of praise in this place. Thank you, Lord.